0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Richard Blankenship is the Clinical and Administrative Director for the Capstone Center for Counseling, DBT, and Relational Trauma at the Capstone Center for Sexual Recovery and Transformation, a program for male addicts, female addicts, and spouses and partners of sex addicts. Richard is one of the founders of the International Association of Certified Sexual Addiction Specialists, where he served as president for 13 years, and a founding board member of the Association for Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, which is APSATS, which my audience knows well, where he served for over four years. He developed the first graduate course to be taught on sexual addiction along with a colleague and guest lectures in a variety of university-level courses. Richard is a frequent guest on Atlanta-area radio and television programs dealing with sexual addiction, spouses and families of addicts, and domestic violence. He is the author of The Life Guide for Young Men and A Journey Through Secrets. He is the co-author of Spouses of Sex Addicts, Hope for the Journey, which is a book and a workbook. He's also the author of The Life Guide for Couples. Richard holds two master's degrees, an M.Ed. from the University of Tennessee Chattanooga and an M.A. from Harding University Graduate School. Richard is a licensed professional counselor with the state of Georgia, a nationally certified counselor with the National Board of Certified Counselors, a certified clinical hypnotherapist. I'm so excited about that. I, I can't wait to talk about that, actually. That's awesome. A certified clinical sexual addiction therapist, and a certified clinical partner specialist, and he is married with two children and has worked with churches and counseling centers for over 25 years. That is quite the bio. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Welcome,
1: Richard. Well, thanks. Yeah, I get exhausted whenever I hear someone read
0: that. (laughs) You put in a lot of hard work. I've invited Richard here today to talk about disassociation, what it is, what that means for us, and some tips for how we can manage disassociation or perhaps options for treatment. So let's start with that. Richard, what is disassociation?
1: Well, dissociation is basically a splitting off of, or a detachment it's a big word that can sound really scary yet it manifests itself in different degrees it's something that we all do we will dissociate from difficult experiences even daydreaming is a form of mild dissociation when you're just checking out of something it's even listed in driver's manuals when you're learning to drive and they sometimes call it highway hypnosis, which is where you are driving from point A to point B, and you don't necessarily have a conscious memory of everything you experienced along that drive. There is a level of dissociation that can take place there. Where the term got real scary was what's now called dissociative identity disorder is what we used to refer to as multiple personality disorder. And a lot of people thought mainly because of Hollywood and different press that it got that that was just the worst of the worst. In reality, what we call multiple personality disorder was nothing more than a highly sophisticated coping mechanism where people would split off and create different identities, typically as a way to cope with horrific trauma. And so dissociation Is a coping skill in some ways, and at times it can be healthy, at other times it can be unhealthy.
0: That's good to hear that it can sometimes be healthy, as I have experienced quite a bit of dissociation since my ex husband's arrest. What does it look like in terms of a wife who is in trauma? So, a woman who's experiencing the emotional abuse or the trauma of finding out about her husband's porn use or his
1: infidelity? Well, whenever women find out about problematic sexual behavior, chronic porn use, anything on that continuum, they'll develop a lot of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And one of the things that comes when you're in a traumatized state is a level of dissociation. And it can be as basic as just zoning out for a few minutes, some daydreaming, maybe even some fantasy of, you know, being in a better place. Or it could, you know, go over to some very extreme levels where people lose touch with reality. But more often than not, we see it early on when people are in a state of shock from the betrayal. And you know, they may just be staring straight ahead uh, with a blank look. And so dissociation actually does have a continuum that it runs on from fairly minor to much more extreme. Hmm.
0: So the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I found myself not hearing my children when they were talking to me and I wasn't doing anything else. They would say something and I realized that they had been saying something to me and that I did not hear them for like I don't know how many times they said, mom, 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 you know? And then I was like, oh yeah, what, what is it? So I was available and ready and willing to talk to them, but just didn't hear them until they had said my name a few times. So I would say that mine would be on the very minor level of kind of zoning out for a little while, but I found myself doing that frequently. Sure. And so I thought, oh, I need to learn more about disassociation. I just wanted to see What does an expert have to say about, first of all, this level of dissociation, which I'm sure many of our listeners are experiencing? Do you have any tips for that? And then also perhaps talk with our listeners about more extreme levels of disassociation and what that could mean for them and how to get help.
1: What you described, I think, Anne, is very normal for any betrayed wife is they're going through especially that initial shock. And devastation when they discover the trauma. It can go to a variety of different presentations. When you get over to the extreme ones, you see people who are not grounded in reality. They check out to the point that they can actually be in dangerous situations and not realize they're in dangerous situations. One extreme example I had was with a betrayed wife who was trying to cook for her children. And she had started a fire on a gas stove. The thing ignited curtains and the kitchen was starting to burn. And she was just sitting there, not realizing that there was actually a fire going on for quite a while. And that would be an example of, you know, it's a pretty extreme dissociation. Mm-hmm. It can vary across the the recovery process for a partner, as they're going through the healing process, it may be that they get much better over time and a lot of the dissociation goes away.
0: So I have always thought that disassociation was always a bad thing. And you're saying not so much.
1: Not necessarily. There are many worse ways people could cope with something. Now, obviously, if you get to the extreme of dissociating when you're driving a car and you get in a wreck or the kitchen's on fire and you don't realize it, obviously, those are very unhealthy extremes where someone is really checking out of reality. But if you think about it, one of the things that's used even in times of minor surgery, coping with physical pain is sometimes a doctor or a nurse might even ask the patient create a beach scene or a mountain scene and kind of check out when they're doing that. I've done that and have seen that with people who perhaps were going for something as basic as a root canal and used dissociation into a fantasy as a way to get through a difficult time, a difficult procedure.
0: So I have actually done hypnotherapy and you're a certified clinical hypnotherapist. I want to talk about this briefly, because I wonder if my training with hypnotherapy served me well and enabled me to disassociate appropriately through the pain. I've never thought about that before until now. But all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, maybe I have a cool skill that I was able to employ when things got really difficult.
1: I'm going to guess it probably was very helpful.
0: That's really interesting. So the things people would need to be careful of if they choose to take a break from the pain, for example, that they choose something that is healthy and appropriate.
1: Right. I think of a friend who had her daughter in the emergency room after an auto accident, and they were putting stitches in her. And she held her daughter's hand and said, where do you want to go? Mm -hmm. Well, to the beach. Let's create that beach scene. That's healthy dissociation.
0: Okay. I love this. I've actually been doing visualization with my son every night. And I haven't thought of it as disassociation until now about his emotions and his anger and where he's going to put it and how he's going to deal with it. One of the things we imagined was that he put all of his feelings about how he doesn't want to do his schoolwork. Like, I don't want to do my work. I hate doing schoolwork, you know, that sort of thing in a box. And then if he was holding that box, could he pick up his pencil to do his schoolwork? And he was like, no, I can't. And so I said, well, where do you want to put the box? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to put it over here. And then he was like, oh, mom, I can do my assignment now. And he has improved significantly in his schoolwork. Whereas before these thoughts were going through his head, like, I don't want to do this. This is boring. I hate this. Anyway, I've just never thought about it as a tool. This is really fascinating. Okay, so for me, using it as a tool is an option because I have used hypnotherapy before and and visualization. Do you have any tips for me without that low level sort of disassociation where I don't want to disassociate and I find myself looking straight at my child, and he's saying something, and I can't hear him for a minute. And then finally, I snap out of it and think, Oh, whoa, do you have any tips for that situation where I want to be present? I want to be able to connect with my children or other people around me, but I'm having a hard time concentrating?
1: Sure. One of the things we find if people are chronically dissociating, it may be that it's an avoidance thing where what they know they need to deal with is just so painful. And it may be that doing some therapies to help with you know, some basic exposure can help with that. I find if it's chronic, when people go for EMDR treatment, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, that that often helps contain things a lot more for women who have been betrayed and they're then able to stay present more when they need to. Other times it can be just some basic grounding, you know, take a moment, breathe, feel the floor beneath your feet, some things that, you know, can bring you into the present moment. And so a lot of even the relaxation techniques can help out there.
0: Like mindfulness things.
1: Mindfulness type things. Yes.
0: Okay. So I'm just thinking if I'm finding myself doing that, maybe think, oh, I feel the couch, maybe feel the couch fabric. Maybe even touch my child's arm or something and say, Oh, this is my child's arm or, you know, something so that I can reconnect with the present moment.
1: Exactly. Because one of the things that also can kind of take people out of the present when it comes to dealing with such overwhelming pain is you get to where you don't trust your own emotions. And this is a common presentation in betrayed wives, is they don't recognize their own emotions. You get to where you don't realize when there's panic or there's anger or maybe going into a state of depression or something like that, or perhaps there's some health issues and there's enough of a level of dissociation that these things get ignored that really need to be acknowledged and addressed.
0: For our listeners, the basic tips would be those mindfulness things. And then if it were a little more extreme or chronic, or they notice that it's really causing problems then those therapeutic options like EMDR. Do you see women just naturally improving as they heal and they go through the recovery process and maybe as time goes on a little bit?
1: Absolutely. and One of the reasons I love working with partners and with couples so much is that we do see them get well. And it's a very difficult journey, especially in those first few months. But most of the people make it. And we do see these things improve over time. And we actually see people return not only to their previous level of functioning, but often a higher level of functioning. If what we're talking about is just dissociation from trauma, then typically as things improve, attention span improves, you'll find less memory lapses. It is real common when you're going through betrayal trauma to misplace the car keys or even forget how to get yourself home when you're trying to maybe drive home from work. But what we find is as people heal, all of those things get better. They become more connected, more present, more able to be emotionally present in their relationships.
0: That is exciting news. I am so happy that I had you on because before I had you on, I thought that (laughs) this interview was going to result in me being like, Oh, wow, I have like 10 more years of intense therapy or something. And now I'm like, Oh, wait a minute, I'm pretty normal. And I'm doing quite well in this disassociation thing. After talking with you, I'm feeling more validated. That's exciting.
1: It really is quite normal. I mean, if you think about it, you could have become a drug addict. You could have become an alcoholic. You could have turned to all kinds of destructive coping mechanisms. And if the worst thing that you did was dissociate a little bit and had a few memory lapses, in the grand scheme of things, I'd say you're pretty normal and doing pretty good. I can think of far worse ways that betrayed wives could be coping than occasionally checking out and it's also important to remember that there is a lot of hope it is temporary and it's not something that has to last forever it is something that may help you get through some very difficult moments it's just a place that you don't want to stay there
0: right what would you say the difference is between a healthy use of this association to take a break from the pain and numbing When I first started recovery, there was so much talk about like, don't numb your emotions. And then when I read Barb Steffen's book, Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, I was so happy to read that they recommend taking a break from the pain sometimes. And so I saw this difference between watching a movie so that I could just take a break rather than thinking I'm watching a movie because I'm unhealthy and I'm trying to numb from the pain. How can we make sure that we're doing it in healthy ways to take a break rather than avoid?
1: It's healthy use. It's gonna be very temporary. I mean, let's think about the numbing that we're talking about. If you go to the dentist, they're going to numb your mouth to do a filling or a root canal or whatever they're gonna do, but it's temporary. It's something to help get through a specific situation or period. And so when we're dealing with betrayal, uh, of course, people are going to feel you know, numb at times. Uh, other times they're going to be feeling things so intensely that they express in some extreme ways. You know, sometimes those things could be inappropriate, too. But I think that there is a healthy way to use it. Obviously, you have to make sure you're safe. And then there's times when you take a break from that pain. We often have a container that a lot of my betrayed wives will use. And they will put that pain into the container. They'll take that break from it. Maybe that's when they have a self-care day, a spa day. They do things to let themselves relax, unwind from things, and just give themselves permission to take a break from dealing with the problem.
0: I think viewing it within the framework of the APSATS multidimensional partner trauma model is helpful, right? So you've got your first phase of safety and stabilization, where you're stabilizing the situation, you're starting to establish safety for yourself and your family, then grieving and processing where there might be a lot of pain during that first and second phase, and those might be the appropriate times to utilize a break from the pain. And then the third phase of connecting, if we find ourselves continuing to try and numb out or continuing to disassociate, that might be where we need to look at that and say, wait a minute, this is not a healthy way to live. I am safe now. I don't need to use these coping mechanisms anymore. Is that kind of
1: what you're suggesting? Yes, that's correct. I don't ever want to shame someone who's been through betrayal because they happen to be numbing out or having trouble focusing early on in that journey when they're trying so hard to stabilize and just get a sense of of safety and stability back. During those times, it's normal. And to have those times of checking out, it's just that as a long-term coping skill, that's probably not one you want to be using.
0: I'm concerned now that my kids are talking to me and I'm unable to focus because I'm like, I'm in phase three, the reconnecting phase. Now I want to be able to connect with my children. I don't want to not be able to interact with them because I'm somewhere else. I want to be in the present moment now. So I'm just working through that. And I guess it will just take time.
1: It'll take time and it'll take some practice, but you'll get there. One of the things that was pointed out to me in some research on dissociation was that Christians are often taught to dissociate at a certain level. Think about it, even as a kid, put on your Sunday best. You could have had a horrible family fight, and yet you're still supposed to go to church and look like nothing's wrong. Well, in a sense, there's some dissociation that is being taught. And it can be somewhat like the dissociation you might feel if you are dealing with a supervisor at work and you've been traumatized off the job, perhaps you dissociate some to get your job done. Or I'll give you another example of healthy dissociation. Let's say that you're about to have brain surgery, and the neurosurgeon who's going to operate on your brain has had a fight with her husband. Well, when they're operating on your brain, I sure hope they can dissociate from the fight they just had at home. And be present while they're in that operating room. So things like that are examples where dissociation can actually be very functional.
0: Wow. This podcast ended up so differently than I thought. Mm. Yeah, like I did not anticipate that it would be a discussion of pretty much like the healthy uses of this association. I thought that it would be that it's always bad. So this is fascinating to me and so exciting that I'm not as terrible as I thought. That's so cool.
1: I don't think you're anywhere near terrible. And I, <laughs> and I tell you, the trade wives, this all the time, you're not crazy. And I think that's what's happened with so many, particularly with gaslighting, you get to where you think you're crazy, and the betrayed wives I work with, I know whenever I tell people they're not crazy, they often break down with tears because they said I really thought that I was.:
0: Yeah, well, now I'm seeing this as like a natural progression, yeah to my trauma, and also I'm seeing where I have used it in healthy ways both in terms of my own visualization and then helping my son visualize, which I never thought of as its association. To my listeners, yay, you're not crazy. I'm not crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's been a joy to be with you all today. And if you're listening to this podcast, our website is capstoneatlanta.com. And there's contact forms there, email. You can reach me through that if I could ever provide information or be of service in some way
0: again that's capstoneatlanta.com if you go to our website btr.org you can find a transcription of this podcast with links to richard's website thank you so much for being here today richard
1: oh thank you for having me it's been a joy
0: so the first step to healing is making sure that you are safe And to know if you are safe takes some time and some education. And so we've set things up so that you can know what your level of safety is, starting with how to heal stages of betrayal, trauma, recovery with Coach Kat. And then am I being emotionally abused with Coach Galen, detecting and confronting gaslighting with Coach Sarah, and then setting and holding healthy boundaries with Coach Sarah. You need to be aware of those things first and know what they look like because if you're constantly being harmed and in pain, you're going to try to avoid the pain somehow, either through confronting it continually or through avoiding it. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how people get into patterns of fantasy or dissociating as a way to just deal with everyday stresses in life. And that is what addicts do. And that is very dangerous and keeps people disconnected from each other. And so we're gonna talk about that next week. In the meantime, If this podcast was helpful to you, please rate it on your podcasting app. Every single one of your ratings helps our visibility and helps women who are isolated find us. Also on the new website, if you go to education, you can find the blog section. The blog is transcriptions of this podcast in article form. Go to that, make some comments. Let us know what you thought. If you have any questions, we'd love to see you interacting there. If you're interested in being in our secret Facebook group, go to the site, enter in your email into our community, and you will receive instructions via email. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for your support. Until next week, stay safe out there.